Hello and welcome to the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Jackson, and it's my mission to share the science of human behaviour in a practical, fun and inspiring way. In each podcast episode, I interview an expert from the fields of psychology, well-being, leadership, parenting or high performance. I pick their brain to uncover what they know about living well, what tips do they have for you and I, and I quiz them about how they apply their expertise in their own life. Join me as we discover simple, science-backed ways to live, learn, flourish and fulfil your potential. Hello, wonderful, if slightly anxious humans. I am mixing things up for this episode of the Potential Psychology Podcast. I had planned an episode on personality and how it drives what we do for this week on the back of our fun webinar that we had with some members of the PP community last Monday morning, which feels like a century ago. But given the state of uncertainty we're in right now due to the coronavirus and COVID-19 and its impact on on almost every facet of life, I've parked that and decided to share some tips today that might help us to face some more immediate challenges. I have had the luxury of remaining out and about in our community over the past week. For our international listeners, Australia's COVID-19 cases are still relatively low, although we did pass the thousand case threshold, which seems to have escalated response significantly just this past weekend. And the government has generally been taking a slow but steady mitigation approach with significant testing, which I believe is the highest rate per capita. At this stage, our borders are closed, but schools are still open, although I'm conscious that everything I'm saying might have changed by the time we go to air. And we're encouraged to practice social distancing or spatial distancing, as some are now calling it, which I think is a much better term. We can still be social, just with a little more space between us. And I think most of us anticipate that this will change and the guidance will become even more stringent. In fact, it is almost by the hour right now. And it will become more restrictive in the coming days and weeks. But that is where we're at right now as I speak. In my hometown, we have had the added luxury of only a handful of infections. I think there are three reported cases, all of whom I believe are stable in hospital. And so for a while, until perhaps this weekend for many of us, life had kind of continued somewhat normally on the surface. It has been so abnormal in so many ways. And one theme that I'm hearing repeatedly from the individuals I'm speaking to, from our local businesses, from my social media audience, just from social media generally, from the news everywhere, is I'm worried and I'm overthinking and I'm distracted by all of this and I'm stressed. And that's for all different reasons. Some of us are worried about our own health and the health of our families. Some are worried about income. Some are worried about impact on lifestyle and activities. Some are worried about access to necessary foods and medicines. Some of us are worried about what the future holds and how long all of this will last. I think most of us have that worry. Some are worried about not being able to get to family members overseas should our borders close. Well, they have closed and family members become unwell. Some are worried about immunocompromised family and friends. And almost all of us have been thrown in some way just by the sheer degree and speed of change. So I thought today I'd cover some of the psychology of change and uncertainty and why it creates the stress that it does and drive some of the behaviour that we're seeing. Then I'll share some simple tips for keeping us calm 
as we can <laughs> and as resilient as we can be because we might be in this for the long haul. It's looking increasingly likely. And if by some glorious miracle we're not and this does all blow over, then these are still skills and practices for life. So let's go, shall we? Okay, so it's fair to say that times are undeniably challenging right now. Life is undeniably challenging. We're facing, for most of us, unprecedented anxiety and uncertainty, and it's having an impact on our state of mind, our work, our families, and our businesses, our livelihoods in many cases, and it's driving some pretty crazy behaviour, as it has been. What seems like illogical and unkind behaviour. We're seeing panic buying, or we have been, and empty supermarkets when there's been no shortage of food or toilet paper for that matter, and no restriction on our ability to shop either now or in the future, not here in Australia anyway. We're seeing the spread of some of the most crazy misinformation on social media. We're seeing in some parts some pretty unkind and unpleasant behaviour from some humans towards their fellow humans. And psychologists in the disaster recovery field have a name for this kind of behaviour. It's called social debonding. So it's a response to stress that sees this kind of disconnect from others and our usual social values in order to protect ourselves. As our stress levels rise, we become far more focused on ourselves, our survival individually. And so we kind of act in a pretty self-absorbed, self-centred way. It's not nice, but it is very normal. <laughs> and we're also seeing some joyful behaviour. That's the upside of this. We're seeing communities pull together and helping each other. We're seeing wonderfully creative ways to work from home, serve customers and overcome some of the immediate challenges. And this is what these disaster recovery psychologists, the experts in these fields, form a social psychology called positive social fusion. So it's the next stage that emerges when our perception of immediate personal threat diminishes and we can start to think beyond ourselves and towards our fellow human beings and how we might be able to help. So these sort of challenges, this kind of stress and anxiety and uncertainty might bring out the worst in humans, but it can also bring out the best. And I think we've seen a bit of both of that. And hopefully we're going to see less of the former and more of the latter going forward. But what else drives this behaviour? What happens in our brain when we're facing change and uncertainty? And what might happen to us as individuals? How does kind of the stress emerge? How does the overthinking and the worrying emerge? And that's what I want to cover off next. And I'm going to start by saying the human brain the human system, just doesn't like uncertainty. It much prefers routine and rhythm and normal because that's how we function. That's how our brain makes meaning of the world by things being fairly predictable. It's how we know how to anticipate, to plan and to prepare. It's how we know what's coming next, even in little tiny ways. So, you know, you and I know that for most of us, we get up in the morning, we shower, we dress, we eat breakfast and we go to work. And we know things like we get paid on Thursdays maybe and we have our kids basketball on Saturdays and we watch the footy on Friday nights. And we know for the most part that next week we'll go to work again just like we did this week. And even if we shake things up and take a holiday or make a big change like moving house or jobs, we've usually had a reasonable handle on planning that and thinking it through. And that's how our brain likes things, pretty known, predictable and in control. 
Because when things are usual and predictable, our brain just requires fewer resources to operate. That's what's going on there. It can run partially in an automatic mode because it knows what's coming next. So then it has resources to dedicate to managing our emotions and solving problems and being creative and just managing our stress, you know, dealing with the other little unexpected things that come up. But when something like a big global pandemic occurs, like we're discovering, it's something that the vast majority of us have never experienced before. Life is just full of uncertainty at every turn. Nothing is predictable anymore and it's changing at this incredibly rapid rate. So our brain perceives this as just a constant bombardment of threat. We don't know what's coming next. It's all new and different. We can anticipate a whole lot of change, but we don't know what any of that looks like. And life's just gone and thrown us this massive curveball. And your brain is dedicating all its resources just to kind of computing that at some level. And it responds by driving our behaviour in a few different ways. So firstly, we tend to go looking for control in some area of our life where we still have some. So that's one of the reasons why we've seen the panic buying. There's so much uncertainty that for some of us, we think at a subconscious level at least, I can't control what's going on but I can control what my family has in our house to survive. I can go and stock up on food. And I know we're not being told to do this or we're being told not to do this, but I'm going to do it because it's one thing I can control. And that sort of happens at this, you know, sub or semi-conscious level. It's like I can't control what's going on, but I can control this and I'm going to do it whether I've been asked not to or not. And there's that undercurrent of that social debonding that I mentioned earlier that's happening there too. We might be focusing less on what's right for all because at an individual level, I feel like my survival is under threat and I'm looking after myself. And that might seem illogical and unfair and unkind and certainly not very thoughtful, but it's all very human. It's just humans responding to stress and trying to exert control over something in their world when they're faced with a lack of control and certainty in so many other aspects of their world. And we're probably all doing it to some degree in different ways. You might be really drawn to your financials at the moment, your money matters, and be obsessing over where the money is and where it's going and what's coming in and trying to control expenditure. Or maybe you are focused on cleanliness at the moment beyond what we're meant to be sanitising for public health reasons. My house is very tidy right now. My laundry's all up to date. The bins are emptied regularly. I'm distracting myself with tidying because it helps me to feel in control. And maybe you're mowing the lawn or getting very particular about the kids' bedtime or their homework or you're taking extra good care of your pets or your indoor plants or staying very focused on your work. It's all kind of this control behaviour that emerges when we feel like other parts of our lives aren't in control. And kids are not immune to this. Kids might be pushing boundaries to exert some control over their worlds because even though they might not be fully cognizant of how this might play out, they'll certainly get that things worrying, especially older children. Um, but even little ones will just pick up on the vibe. So you might see a bit of acting out or boundary pushing behaviour from kids. And maybe you're pushing boundaries yourself with others. There's more, more than likely some little ways in which you are attempting to exert control over things that you can control right now, things that you might ordinarily be much more relaxed about. So my question to you, have a think about 
where you're at with life right now? Is is there something that you're trying to exert control over? It doesn't matter. It's not a bad thing. It's a very, very normal thing to do. It just helps sometimes to know why those behaviours are emerging, particularly if they're creating conflict maybe with other members of your household. So I think we can really see this playing out on a bigger scale as well. I have heard a number of people increasingly say, I wish the government would just put us in lockdown now. And although their intention might be to reduce the spread of the disease, I think there's an element of control in that as well. If the government makes the decision for us, it takes some of that uncertainty away. We don't have to think about what we need to do anymore. We don't need to make judgments about whether this is the right thing to do, whether I should be going to the shops or not going to the shops, whether I should be allowing my children to go to school or not go to school. If the government or some authority makes that decision for us, then it takes that uncertainty out of our hands and we get a little sense of greater control. Our world shrinks and diminishes and that makes it easier. And there's another interesting phenomena that you might have noticed in yourself or in others that's going on right now as a result of this uncertainty, you might notice an almost obsessive need to keep checking the news sites and social media for the latest updates. Or maybe you feel the need to keep talking and talking to people about what's going on. That was me early last week and I'm not usually the most talkative of people. And again, that's really normal. What's driving it is our need for what human behaviour experts call cognitive closure. So it's looking for information to fill the gaps when things are uncertain or unknown. Our brain is desperately seeking to know what's going on so that it can get control and predict and plan and anticipate and therefore keep calm and then it's back in its kind of happy place and this is why we're all watching and listening to the news or checking social media or talking to each other we're constantly checking in because our brain wants the answers it wants some certainty but of course there is no certainty right now there are no answers and that feels really uncomfortable and it contributes to that constant checking behavior that constant need for this cognitive closure And it becomes a really stressful cycle that tends to build our anxiety further rather than lessening it. So it's a fraught thing to do, but a very normal thing to do. And obviously stepping away from social media and the news can help us to reduce that anxiety cycle. But that can be difficult because your brain still wants that cognitive closure. It's still looking for ways to fill the gaps in your knowledge so that it can get back to predicting and planning. And your phone or your device feels like it can provide the most instant access to that. And it could if there were answers. So if you feel like the constant checking is actually doing you more harm in terms of your well-being and your anxiety levels than it's doing you good and you're keen to step away from that, to put the phone down and to implement a bit of digital detoxing, as they call it, but you're struggling to do that, that's really normal too, yeah? So have a little self-compassion. Don't beat yourself up because you feel like you can't control your impulses or you need to keep checking. Just acknowledge it for what it is. Your brain's seeking information to feel more in control and reduce anxiety and discomfort because that's the first step in being able to change the behaviour if it feels like it's not helping you. Acknowledge what's going on. Be compassionate to yourself. Don't beat yourself up if you pick up your phone. But when you can, 
put it down, even if it's just for brief moments, put it down, take those few deep breaths and perhaps move on to another activity, leave the phone in another room. You will probably come back to it. You will check on it again. That's okay. Yeah, it's it's all about acknowledging that you're human and you are doing the very best that you can because beating yourself up about it doesn't help. It just adds an extra layer of distress to the equation. Okay, while we're talking about distress, let's talk about worry because worrying and overthinking is probably pretty common for all of us right now to different degrees. Some people are overthinkers by nature and perhaps it's escalated to an extreme level. I think probably all of us are worrying and overthinking at least a little. And again, we do it for the same reasons. We're doing it to try and regain some control. Somewhere in its wiring, your brain thinks, if I keep going over and over what's going on and the problems that I'm facing, whether that's how you're going to get the supplies you need or whether it's the right decision to take the kids out of school or how you're going to keep your business running, if I keep going over and over it, maybe I'll come up with the answers. It's your brain saying, maybe I'll find the certainty that I'm looking for. But worrying doesn't find the certainty, especially when the certainty is in short supply. And many of us, most of us, conflate worrying with planning. So we feel like if I just keep thinking about it, I'm planning and I'm, I'm trying to get a grip on the situation. But there's a big difference between worrying about what's happening and the things that are challenging us and the things that we're struggling with and actual problem solving type planning. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. So the worry is fueled by the uncertainty. It's a normal response from your brain trying to seek answers and control. But the problem is that rather than coming up with a solution, what tends to happen is we get more and more muddled and more and more stressed. And when that happens, when we start to feel worse and worse as a result of the worry, we see fewer and fewer solutions and more and more problems. We can worry ourselves into a kind of a negative spiral, which ultimately becomes helplessness. And that's a key feature of depression. And that's what we don't want happening. So I will talk shortly about well-being and how we overcome some of that. I just want to touch finally on what we know about our brains. The final thing that we know about our brains is that when life's uncertain, we'll always see the problems and worries before we see the opportunities and the positives. This is a phenomenon of your brain called the negativity bias. We're wired up to see threats first and to feel them more acutely, to be more focused on them than we are to see opportunities or possibilities or the good things that exist in our world right now. So your brain's kind of working against you. It's very normal. It's a built-in feature of your brain to keep you safe. We want to be able to see threats so that we can respond when we need to. That's what it's designed for. But of course, our brain's not always very good at differentiating between real and immediate, your life is in danger right now kind of threat and potential threat or perceived threat. So it activates the same physical response, our stress response, which again, I'll go into a bit more detail in a moment, and our worry type behavior, regardless of any actual threat. And then we're at risk of getting caught up in that negative spiral again. If we're not able to refocus on what is still good and normal and within our control, all that negativity swamps us, it takes over, and we can end up in a really bad and unhelpful place. 
So we need to find ways to retrain our brain out of that tendency if we're not truly under immediate physical threat. And that's what I'm going to talk about right now. And this is where we get to the tips and strategies part, the practical part, the doing part. The first thing I really want you to focus on is being kind to yourself and to others. What we're seeing in ourselves and in others is an array of really normal behaviour in response to an abnormal situation. And we might not always like that behaviour in ourselves or in others, whether that's the panic buying in the shops, whether it's some unkindness that you see in the community, whether it's your kids acting out, whether it's your partner getting more obsessive about the way the dishwasher's packed, whether it's your own irritability and stress and frustration. But we know that when we get hooked into those feelings and getting angry and frustrated at ourselves and at others and fighting against what we're seeing, that doesn't help. We don't need any more heightened emotion right now. We need to be, as best we can, kind and forgiving and understanding of ourselves and of others and really to pull together, which is why I wanted to go through all of those responses, just so that you know that it's completely normal. And the second tip I have, there's a series of tips, I'm not actually sure how many, but the second one is this. While we know that a lot of the behaviour that we're seeing in ourselves and others is very normal and nothing to be especially concerned about, if you are worrying nonstop or getting irritable with yourself and others or overthinking to the point of distress or going around and around in circles to the point where you just can't get things done or see your way out of it or not sleeping or becoming too controlling to the point where it's having a negative effect either on yourself or on other people, then we need to start with awareness and then move to change. So what I want you to do if you're seeing any of those things in yourself is ask, is this helping me? If not, then it's time to do something differently. Often when we're stressed, we get caught up in these negative, unhelpful loops. We worry and we overthink and we get irritable and agitated and we don't sleep and we spend the next day feeling even worse. And we have even less control then over our minds and the worry. And it just perpetuates. And at some point we have to stop that loop because it's not helping you and it's not helping the other people around you. So that ask yourself, is this helping, is the very first step in stopping that spiral, stopping that loop, and then being able to be more proactive and do something about it to look after your wellbeing. So I'm gonna talk you through a really simple tool that you can use if you find yourself getting stuck in a loop and if you notice behaviors or thoughts that aren't helping you. Firstly, we've gotta use our imaginations here because if you are in front of me, and this is something that I do a lot in face-to-face -face workshops and in coaching one-on-one -on -one with clients, I would show you the picture, but you can't see the picture. I'll put it in the show notes so that it's there for you. But for the moment, activate your imagination and imagine two concentric circles. So an outer circle and an inner circle, a bit of a donut, if you will. And once you've got those circles in mind, I want you to have a look or just think about that outer circle. This is the circle of what we call concern. In it is everything that affects us that we can do nothing about. We cannot control. So much of what's worrying us in our world right now is in this circle. And usually I use the example of the weather. So the weather affects our mood, the way we dress, the way we travel, our activities, even the way we think. It has a huge impact on us but we can't do anything about it. We have no control over the weather. Now, COVID-19 and how it progresses and what decisions our governments make and our institutions make and the way in which other people in our world respond, we have no control over any of that either. 
but it affects us all in so many ways. And we're seeing that play out hour by hour right now. It's affecting our livelihoods, our access to food, our travel, our families, our daily life, our friends, just everything in so many ways. But we have absolutely no control over any of it. So it all sits in that outer circle, that circle of concern. The things that affect us have an impact on us, but we have no control over them. And if we spend all of our time worrying about these things we can't control or pushing against them or getting angry about them or shouting at other people on social media or elsewhere or complaining about government decisions, you know, that's all in our circle of concern, but it's a really disempowering, high emotion, but low power place to be. It's a great place to hang out if you want to be stressed, but there's an inner circle there. There's that circle of what we call influence. And that's where we do have power. And ultimately, we really only have power over two things, especially at the moment. We have power over our thoughts or our mindset, and we have power over the action that we take. So if we go back to our weather example, we can't change the weather, but we can change what we wear. We can choose indoor instead of outdoor activities. When it's raining, we can reframe it or think about it differently. You know, the rain is great for the farmers or it's great for the garden. We can remind ourselves that whatever weather we've experienced or we're experiencing right now doesn't last forever. All of that stuff, the way we think about things and then what we do about them, that is within our power. That is within our circle of influence, that inner circle. And that's a really empowering, healthier and happier place to be. We haven't changed the event. We haven't changed anything that's going on. We've just changed our response to it. So in our current circumstances, we can't change COVID-19, but we can change the way we think about it or what we're doing if the way we're responding isn't helping us right now. That's where that is this helping me question comes in. And we're starting to see some great examples of that already. We're starting to see businesses pivoting. So locally, we've had these little cafes or our cafes are providing like window pickups, social distancing windows, they're calling them. We're starting to see gatherings and concerts taking place virtually rather than face-to-face. -face. We're seeing people offering to help neighbours or others who maybe can't get to the shops. There's a lovely proposal to put a candle on your porch at dawn and play the last post on your phone on Anzac Day because we can't hold our usual Anzac Day services. And this is innovation and creativity and it's taking back control in positive ways. It's taking control of the stuff that exists within our inner circle, that circle of influence. And we can also reframe our thoughts about what's going on. So maybe if you have downtime at the moment, rather than getting frustrated by that and fighting against it, you know, thinking about it as an opportunity to work on some projects that maybe you've been meaning to get to, but you never can because you're too busy or maybe it's an opportunity to wind back and spend more time with family. I know I've been meaning to create online versions of my workshops for ages and just haven't because I've been too busy or other things have gotten in the way. They've been more immediate priorities. And so I figure that this is the perfect opportunity to make that happen. And there's some other wonderful examples of the kind of innovation and creativity that's within our circle of influence that are emerging right now. So schools are being forced to look at how online learning might work, which may well lead to better services to remote students ultimately, or those who are kept away from school due to illness. The reduction in emissions as a result of grounded airplane fleets and closures of factories in China is leading to a reduction in pollution and the increase in nature 
wildlife that we've seen photos of or you might have seen photos of that are returning to Venice because the tourists have disappeared and the water is clearer than it's ever been or certainly ever been for a while. And these are all and there will be more positives that come from the challenges and it can be really helpful for us to focus on those things when you're starting to feel overwhelmed. For you personally, it's thinking about what's in that inner circle. And those things that I mentioned earlier, if you are really having trouble sleeping, if you are finding yourself in a really challenging place, if your anxiety is overwhelming, is this helping? I'm guessing it's probably not. It's overpowering. It's not allowing you to be the best version of yourself right now when perhaps others need you to be. And so one of the things that's in your circle of influence is actually doing something about it. If you need to seek psychological help, Go and see or call your GP, get a referral to a psychologist. There are plenty of other resources, helplines that are available, and I'll put all the links for those in the show notes for today's episode. So rather than succumbing to the feelings and the distress and the lack of sleep and the anxiety and all of the emotion, if it's become overwhelming, refocusing on what you can do and one of the things that you can do and that I encourage you to do if you're in that place is to seek help. If you're not at that point, then it is about reframing. What can I do something about right now? How can I think about this situation differently in a way that might be more helpful to me than the way I'm thinking about it? right now. So to give you a personal example, one of the things that has challenged me is how am I going to continue to do the work that I want and need to do, given that I'll have to be doing that from home because my children will be home. My husband will also will be home. There will be four of us in the house 24 hours a day. And for somebody who really thrives when I can be independent, when I can do things on my own, when I can get on with things at the kind of speed and pace that I want to be able to. That's obviously not always a helpful thing to be when we're living in a family situation, even ordinarily, but particularly not now, but it's the way I'm wired up. There's nothing I can do about it. And I fought against that and I've struggled with that and it has caused me some anxiety. And so getting to a point of saying, you know what, this is not helping me. Just stressing out about this is not helping me. I need to think about how I can handle this in a more proactive way. And so one of my options right now, I don't know if it's going to be the option, is just to move my office into my garage. It's going to be cold but it will be quiet and I will have some distance. There's probably other options, things that I'm working through at the moment to move from that fighting against it, getting stressed, agitated place to a more helpful, proactive place, moving from what's in my outer circle, I can't do anything about the fact that we're all going to be home, to my inner circle, what is it that I can do something about. And although I've sort of talked you through that in a pretty simple way. That doesn't mean that any of this is necessarily easy. I don't want to get all Pollyanna about this with you. Some of your immediate challenges might really feel and might be intractable and impossible right at this moment. And I want to remind you that if you are finding yourself consumed by the problems and the impossibility of it all, The opportunity is to challenge yourself to focus on what's in that inner circle. So if it's seeking help, seek help. If it's doing something, even just something small in that moment, if it's giving yourself permission to go to bed early, to leave the dishes undone, to 
go and sit outside and breathe in the fresh air for a few minutes. Whatever it is, giving yourself permission to do it, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That is focusing on that inner circle and doing what's going to be helpful to you, even in a brief moment. Okay. So the final thing I want to take you through in this episode is just some simple activities that we can all do, things that we've covered in some way, shape or form, I think, in most of the episodes of this podcast thus far, things that we can all do that are in that inner circle for every one of us just to build our resilience, to stay well and to stay as productive and creative and positive as we can right now. And the first of these is just simple mindfulness. Now, I think probably most of you would know by now that sitting in mindfulness is not just sitting in the lotus pose and going om, unless that's your bag. Mindfulness comes in lots of different forms and in essence, it is just being present in the moment with all of your senses. And the benefit of doing that is just that it allows the whole system to calm down. It's a stress reduction process. It's a way of calming the body and the mind, if for no other reason than just to give your body and your mind a break for a bit. So what happens physiologically when we're dealing with all of this uncertainty and we're getting worried and frustrated and agitated is that our body activates what's called the sympathetic nervous system or our stress response system. And this is our fight or flight response. We can think of it as the emergency response system in our body and our brain. Our brain's perceiving a threat and it's getting your whole system ready for action to defend yourself and survive or escape to safety and survive. And when this stress response is activated, there's a number of things that happen. There's hormonal changes in your body, so cortisol and adrenaline pump through your system. Blood moves to the large muscle groups. Your digestion slows, your heart beats faster. You breathe more quickly, you might sweat. Your focus of attention narrows, so you become very focused on rights there in front of you and, and on yourself in that moment, or the individual perhaps that you love who's under threat, if that's what we're dealing with. And you have an emotional response. So you might either shut down or you might flare up. And the problem, as I mentioned earlier, is that this happens in response to something you can do nothing about. Yeah, you can't outrun the effects of this coronavirus. You can't beat it up. So all of this activation happens in your body with nowhere to go. And if we stay in this state over a protracted period of time or our stress response system is activated repeatedly, which is what's happening every time you worry or read the news reports or get cross with people who are raiding the supermarkets, you're doing yourself harm physically and psychologically and you're moving yourself further away from a headspace in which you can be productive and proactive and find the best way out of some of these challenges. So you end up in a spiral of emotion and stress which is ultimately really unproductive and unhelpful and damages our well-being. But there's something really simple we can do, thankfully, the good news, to calm everything back down and get into a better headspace and that is just to be present in the moment and the best and simplest way to do that is just to breathe. So five deep breaths is enough to activate what's called our parasympathetic nervous system or our relaxation response. It's the opposite of the stress response. Calms your body and your mind and your emotions and it sets you up to be able to refocus on what you can control and what you need to do right now for your well-being. So just getting into the habit of noticing when you're stressed, and we all have different ways that we feel stress. It might be tension in your jaw or your neck or your headaches. It might be agitation, sort of physical agitation, it might be short temper, it might be sadness, 
It might be rumination and worry. Whatever it is for you, if you get into the habit of checking in with yourself, noticing it, and then taking those five deep breaths on a regular basis throughout your day, you are practicing everyday mindfulness. You are reducing your stress, increasing your calm, and building your resilience. And this is a skill for life, not just for now. This is something that we can all do if you don't do it already to keep yourself calm and really thrive and flourish at all times of our lives. Of course, if you meditate regularly already, that's brilliant. Or if you're keen to start some more formal meditation, that's kind of next level mindfulness, I suppose. And that's just brilliant if you're at that stage. It's enormously helpful. I know it helps me personally. And so I've put some links for you to get started with that if you're keen to in the show notes for this episode. So resources and apps. Uh, mindfulness is something that we practice. That's how we learn it. So it's not really something you can read about. So the best way to get involved is just to start. And I'll link to some of my favorite apps for doing that in the show notes. So that's strategy number one, five deep breaths. Strategy number two is making sure that we're getting the best rest that we can the extra work that your brain is doing right now to keep up with all of this new information and the constant change and the vigilance about how does this affect me or my family, what does this mean, and the uncertainty and the worry, it's all absolutely exhausting, as you know. It's depleting your energy, both physical and psychological. And to re-energise, we just need rest. And sleep is ideal. When we sleep, our brain processes the day's events. It embeds memory Tissue growth and repair to our cells occurs. Our energy levels are restored. Your blood pressure drops while you're asleep. Your body makes more of the proteins that it needs to boost your immunity. A good night's sleep just allows us to better regulate our mood and our attention the next day. It helps us to keep focused on the positives and the things that we can control. It helps us to perform and stay creative and productive. Sleep is vital to our well-being. Because without good sleep, we're at the mercy of a lot of our automatic reactions and responses, and that can be really unproductive and unhelpful and sometimes unpleasant. So we need good sleep now more than ever. And there are plenty of resources from the Sleep Health Foundation on how to get good sleep if it's something that you struggle with, particularly at the moment. And I'll put a link to those resources in the show notes for the episode. But my top tip, just for everyday getting enough sleep, particularly at the moment, is to work out how much sleep you need to feel good and well-rested and to aim for that every night where possible. So the average for adults is seven and a half to eight hours sleep, but there's quite a bit of individual variation in that. Some of us need nine hours so we can manage, some of us can cope satisfactorily on six. But for you, it's about working out what you need, if you don't know already, and reminding yourself that now more than ever, you need that sleep to give yourself permission to have that sleep and to prioritise it. And then just set yourself a bedtime. So get all primary school with yourself. And if you know that you need to be up at six every morning, for example, and you need eight hours sleep, then aim to be heading to bed by at least 9.30 so that you have time to get those last minute things done and still have the time to be in bed, to read or relax or do what you need today in order to get to sleep by, say, 10 p.m. And I have to say, a little like before, if you're not sleeping well or you're struggling to get to bed on time at the moment, don't beat yourself up about it. You know, it's okay. It's normal. I think we've probably all had nights recently where we've just sat there and watched for the latest 
press conference or scroll through the latest news updates or maybe just distracted yourself with, you know, those extra few episodes of the show that you're watching on Netflix because that's just kind of the best place for your head to be right now. And so don't get cross with yourself about that. If it means that you're tired the next day, then you're tired the next day. Just roll with it. Accept that it's normal to be out of routine or struggling to wind down. So forgive yourself, practice some self-compassion and then just try again the next night or have a nap during the day if you can or both. So my next tip is about movement. So we've spoken about mindfulness, we've spoken about sleep or rest and this is about movement. So again, it's something that's really free, well really free, it is just free and really easy hopefully if you've still got access to the outdoors. And while I've said exercise, that doesn't mean long slog or highly vigorous exercise, unless that's really your thing in which absolutely keep going, keep doing it if you can. If you don't exercise regularly or you're inclined not to bother with exercise when you're stressed, even if you know that it's the right thing to do, then this is the time to just make sure that you move in whatever way you can. So exercise or movement is great for distraction for improved sleep, for boosting your mood, for fresh air if you're able to get outdoors and for our creativity. There's been some really interesting studies at Stanford University that looked at the simple act of walking and how this enhances our creativity and problem solving. So they found through a series of experiments that even taking a short walk, 15 minutes or so, helped people to perform better on problem solving tests. And some of the great walkers in history have been our very creative souls. So there's definitely something in that act of just walking that helps us to get out of our own heads and the worries and perhaps helps us to find some solutions or ways forward for some of our more challenging or intractable problems right now. My tip for exercise is just to find some time each day to at least walk at the very least, if you can, while you can. Here in Australia, we are still fortunate in that we're able to get outside and walk or some other form of exercise. I know that in some parts of the world in lockdown, that's just not possible right now. But of course, walking is not the only option. There are plenty, increasingly, classes, fitness classes, yoga classes that are being streamed online. I did an online yoga class with my yoga studio yesterday. The studio is shut down for face-to-face classes, but we can still do our classes online. And I did that in my living room amongst the Lego (laughs) that was all over the floor. And it was good. It was therapeutic. If that's not your thing, maybe take a few trips up and down the stairs. If you've got some stairs, do some jumping jacks in your living room, do some gardening, throw a ball for the dog. Just any kind of movement will do wonders for your state of mind and your sleep and your overall resilience. So that's tip number three. Number four, I think that's what we're up to, is about reflecting on past successes. So this is a thinking strategy. We know that when life feels uncertain and confusing and stressful, it's really easy to get caught up in what's to come. You know, it's your brain seeking that certainty. So it's always thinking about, well, what if this happens and what if that happens? So we kind of get, you know, stuck in this overthinking about the future that we have no control over. But rarely do we reflect on the challenges that we've conquered in the past. So a pandemic and its impact might be unprecedented for most of us, but we've all survived tough times before. We've all struggled and fought and survived, and we're going to emerge from this too, most likely stronger, even if it doesn't feel like that right now. So if it does feel hopeless, 
sit and take the time to reflect on your life and the challenges that you've conquered in the past. When have you struggled previously? What's got you through? How did you do it? How did it help? And draw on these experiences to remind yourself of your strength. In psychology, we call this building self-efficacy. It helps us to move from feeling a bit helpless to feeling like we have some power and control and we can do something, if not to get out of the situation and then at least to handle it with greater resilience and positivity. So you you can enhance that self-efficacy. We can boost it a little further by brainstorming your past successes and then plan. So you might like to design yourself a little well-being plan at the moment or a how am I going to cope plan. (laughs) Write some things down and then get started on it. Remind yourself of what got you through last time. Even if the situation was very different, was it a perspective thing? Was it an attitude? Was it calling on the help of others? Was it looking after your mental health? What was it that got you through and how can you do more of that now. So we're moving from a kind of a passive and powerless place to be to a more active and determined place with a plan and action steps that we can enact. And you can do that. We can all do that. And the final thing that I wanted to cover, the final strategy, is just the power of purpose and connection at the moment. So I talked earlier about positive social fusion, that moment in a crisis when people put the needs of others ahead of themselves. And these people in this moment have discovered the power of purpose. In psychology, we define purpose as serving something greater than ourselves, or that's certainly one of the definitions. There's no agreed on definition at this point, but it's the one that resonates most with me personally. And helping others, connecting with our community, whatever community that is, and giving back helps us to remember that we're part of a bigger world. It gets us out of our own heads and focusing on other people. It reminds us that we're not alone. And it's this sense of purpose and giving back that drives activities like volunteering and social contribution. And in a crisis, it does fuse us together in a positive way. And it also just distracts us from our worries. So it puts life into perspective. We feel active and empowered and useful When we help others, it's a great way to really focus on that circle of influence, that inner circle of where we can do stuff, where we feel empowered, that builds our resilience, rather than getting stuck in that outer circle where we feel helpless and hopeless. And we are starting to see those wonderful stories emerge of people banding together to connect with their community, to think of others, to help. And I've been sharing some of these on the Potential Psychology Facebook page, but you will notice so many of them in your own worlds, in your own immediate communities. And if you'd like to share those on the Facebook page or send them through to me so that I can share them with others, that would be fantastic. I would love that. That will help us all to get out of our own heads and seeing what remains good and positive and resilient and connected to our community. So, My final little challenge for you, if you are struggling with your feelings right now, perhaps focus on how you could do something for someone else, even in a really small way, and just see if it makes a difference. It doesn't need to be a great big grand gesture. It might just be one little thing. Make a phone call, have a chat to a neighbour if you can. Put together a little care package that can be dropped off to one of your local charities who might be distributing food or resources to others in the community who are more vulnerable. Whatever it is you can do that helps you to connect with that sense of purpose, that giving back, and helps you to create that stronger sense of community. 
Okay, that's it from me this week. I've run out of things to say. (laughs) I'm in the process of juggling my own plans at the moment, both for the podcast and my other work, like most of us. It's a shifting, moving feast. And for the podcast over the coming weeks, we've got two more scheduled episodes for the season. I do have an interview for next week. I'll tell you about that in a moment. I'm not sure what will happen with the following week. I have episodes recorded, but I'm just not sure that it feels like the right time right now to talk about other disconnected topics. But I really want your feedback on that. I want to know what you want and need, both for perhaps our remaining episodes, but also for next season, because we'll have a short break, but then we'll be back. And I'd love to know from you, you know, do you need distraction and topics that are unrelated to global pandemics right now? Will that be helpful? Or would you like more tips and strategies from positive psychology and our positive psychology community on dealing with a rapidly changing life? Is there something else that you want? I'm really opening it up to you. Please let me know in the Facebook group or via Instagram or our Facebook page or through the Potential Psychology website, or you can email me directly at ellenjackson at potential.com.au. I figure everything is up in the air right now. So why not use this as an opportunity to shape the coming season of the show according to what you need and what you want to hear. And please, a final request, if this episode has been in any way helpful to you or you think it could be helpful to others, I'd love it if you share it around. That's part of my sense of purpose at the moment is to see if I can put content out there that is going to help others deal in a really productive, positive way, in a way that contributes to a stronger and more connected community and contributes to our individual and collective well-being. So you're helping me to fulfil my sense of purpose by sharing it around. I'll post links to the episode on social media, as I always do. Please share these or share within groups that you're part of. You can also share directly from the podcast app on most devices or most of the platforms that you use. So in whatever way you can, and if you want links from me, again, you know, just contact me directly and I'll send them to you so that you can pass them along. It would be great to see as many people benefit if you feel it's beneficial from these ideas, these tips, these strategies as is possible. Okay, next week. I will be talking next week to Dr. Joe Sweeney, who is a past guest and a very insightful individual. Joe is an industry analyst in digital workforce innovation, policy and education, among other things. So he's perfectly placed to talk to us about working from home and learning from home and all of the people-related elements and the challenges, the aspects of this that we might not have thought about yet and how we might need to put our plans and our resources and our tools and just the way of doing this together, both at an individual and household level, but also at an organisational level, so for leaders in workplaces, to make all of this happen as effectively as possible because we might be doing this for a while. And even if, again, like I said earlier, by some miracle things change and life goes back to some semblance of normal, I think this is an opportunity to learn about new ways of working that will hopefully assist us into the future. So that's next week on the Potential Psychology Podcast. Until I speak to you, then stay safe, do all that you can do to care for yourself and others and to thrive and flourish because it's more important now than ever. 